It is good to see everybody here today. It's good to see my friend Tracy Jantz. Tracy is pastor for years and he's going to speak at our church in a couple weeks. It's good to see uh, all the people from all over, really, the country, uh, the Alamos, I think they might get the uh, award for coming from the farthest. They're, they're from Puerto Rico. And uh, yeah, let's give them a hand. Uh, I know that we have people watching from Brazil. Uh, uh, today I saw Daniel and Giselle through uh, FaceTime, and uh, I said, it doesn't look like you're going to church. And, and through the Brazilian English, you know what that is, uh, they said, we're going to watch church from Brazil. So it's good to see you. Uh, my family's here, and as you notice, I have on a, a suit. Therefore, you know my mama is in the house. John, you look so nice in a suit. I found out quickly that she outranked me. You know, I remember as a young man, just barely about five years old, sitting on the front seat with my mom and acting up and kind of being disruptive. And she said, if you don't be quiet, the pastor's going to lose his place and he's got to start all over again. <laughs> that didn't happen. I heard a story about a, a little girl and she was needing to be put to bed. So grandpa was going to read her a story and he took her to bed and he put her in bed. And as he was reading uh, some of the Bible stories to her, she reached up and was feeling the wrinkles on his face. And uh, then she would feel her face and then she would feel his face. And he was telling the story and, and she said, Grandpa, did God make you? And Grandpa said, yeah, he made me a long time ago. And then she felt her face again and said, Grandpa, did, did God make me? And Grandpa said, yeah, just, just a short time ago. And with that look on her face, she said, he's getting better at it, isn't he? We have a wonderful children's ministry going on right now. And after service, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt that everybody looks forward to. Uh, so we're just going to ask you to kind of make that part of your Easter celebration. Uh, it is nothing biblical in the Bible about an Easter egg hunt, but we want you just to go outside and enjoy the day. And uh, if you do not leave quickly, uh, none of the children will be ran over. So that's always good. So be careful. As you're uh, leaving and you can just enjoy the, the day as they pick up Easter eggs. I'm always amazed at children doing the Easter egg hunt. Because if you said, would you please go out and have all the children pick up trash? It would take them an hour. But it will take them less than five minutes to clean up thousands of eggs out on the front yard. Well, this morning as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, because it's not just the death, crucifixion, it is the resurrection of a new beginning, a life. You know, uh, Easter is kind of like Christmas in a way that it reminds us things, but even Easter is amplified to the point that it reminds us two things. You know, we, we get busy and sometimes we, we have a tendency to forget. Uh, the, the two things that I've thought about that remind me the most is who God is and who we are. Now this morning, I want you just to think about this with me at this Easter time. It is so amazing to understand that God is a loving God. 
Sometimes it's harder for you to unlearn things than it is to learn them the first time. So this morning, I want you to think about it. You know, when we know that God is God, all of a sudden things fall into place. Because what we believe is an axiom. Now, it's more than a coffee shop. And if you did not know and you're here this morning, we own a coffee shop, our church. And it's down on the west end of the property and it's called axiom. But the word axiom defined means a self-evident truth that needs no proof. And really our axiom is that there is a God and we're not Him. When you think about that, you realize all the things that God really displays His splendor and His power in. You know, in Romans chapter 1, Paul says that from the beginning of time, God has been revealing Himself. So really, we don't have an excuse. He's revealed Himself through nature and and the splendor of what we see, of the things that are. And, And when you really begin to think about it, you know, when you think about how amazing, come on now, how amazing God is, that He created our body, And it works. When a child is born, it is more unusual that that child isn't perfect. I don't know if you're a mother or father here this morning, but I remember the first time that we had a child, our firstborn was Luke, and we had three others that followed. If you're doing the math, that's four children. And I remember holding our firstborn and counting those fingers, counting the toes, and I'm oh, thank you, God. Perfect. Same way with the second, the third, and the fourth. When you look into the eyes of the little baby and you think, God, you're amazing how you created us to be who we are. God, you are amazing of taking the the, the ability to to create a human being with a, a spirit that will last forever, that will be for eternity. You're amazing. When I, when I studied DNA in school, I, I realized that all of us here today, do you realize our DNA is 99.9% the same, as well as anybody on the face of the earth? And, and it, it's so much that we're the, alike, but the one-tenth or the one-hundredth difference, there are three million differences between us all. Three million. So even though we're alike, we have a lot of differences. A lot of our DNA comes from our Father. But here's what they're finding out is that you can track the human beings back to one couple, which we believe in the Bible is Adam and Eve. That's how amazing our God is. Do you know that when we talk about how amazing God is and around Easter, we begin to think, you know, He's just incredible. You know, the one thing that I've... Uh, realized is when you look up at the stars in the the sky and you begin to reason, how did all that happen? That we believe God is the creator. Do do you know that our earth is huge and and none of us could probably walk around the whole earth or you know maybe some of us could get in an airplane and fly, but there are other planets out there that are just huge. Let, Let me try to explain again, trying to show you how big and how amazing our God is. They say that there's a a star called Countess Majoris. Now watch this. If this morning, because price is no object, I brought a visual aid. If the earth was the size of this golf ball, okay, everybody with me? This is not the earth, but if it was, okay, the size of a golf ball, that this star is so big, 3.4 
quadrillion earths could fit into it. It would be the size if this was the earth of Mount Everest. That you could put, if you could put the earth one second at a time into it, it would take you 119 million years to count every one of the years that you would put into it. Don't do that at home. He's practiced. (laughs) Our God is amazing. But here's how he describes himself in his own word, which we call the Bible. He says, I'm a loving father. See, all the amazing things that he's done and and that we can see and we believe, that that we say, God, you're a loving father? That you love us that much? Paul said it this way in in the Bible. He says, uh, in Ephesians, he said, if you could just grasp this, it would change your life. If you could just get this. So you kind of edge up on your seat and go, okay, what is it? He said, if you could grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep God's love is for you, It would really revolutionize your life. That's our God. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's without sin, but He's a loving God. The second thing that Easter kind of reminds me as I'm I'm looking at God is who we are. And, And watch this. Who we are with God is totally different than we are without God. Without God, we're pretty much a just a clump of dirt. He gets to live about 70 to, let's say, 100 years if we're lucky. And then we're no more. To think of the people on the face of the earth that are actually agnostic or even people that are atheists that say, I don't believe in God or I don't believe there is a God. Can you just for a minute think with me of how much hope that they have? Zero. Time is ticking until the final day that they go, okay, I'm done. That's who we are without God. To to sit here this morning and we begin to say, you know, without God, we begin to search. Because all of us have come to the conclusion that that there's something missing in our heart. Come on now. You know why I know that? It's because it's happened throughout all of history. We know that we're missing something without God because people will go to the ends of the earth trying to find something that makes them happy. They're, They're missing it. They either buy things that they think, this is it, this will make me happy. If I just marry this woman, no, not that woman, this woman, not that woman, this woman. She'll make me happy. We're all missing something. And we search and we search and we search and we search and we search, trying to fill that void in our life that there's something missing. And here's what's amazing about our God, is not only is He a loving God, but He's a gift giver. There's something about our God, and what's so amazing is that He loves to give gifts. And one of the biggest gifts that anybody has ever got, ready, is the gift of free will. We take it for granted that we get to make a choice, but our God loves us so much that He says, I want you to make the choice if you're going to love me or not. I love you, and I want you to love me, but you're going to get a free choice. That's amazing. And one day we hear the story about the good news of Jesus Christ coming to this earth and, and on Easter, how, how the Easter story is that He came and for 
three years, he, he had a ministry that he walked on the face of the earth. He wasn't three, he was 33, but he started after his three. And for three years, he walked on the face of the earth with the purpose that he would die for us. Because here's what happens. When we hear the good news, we get a choice out of that free will to love him. And there's the, the, the offer of grace comes in because a lot of times all the things that we've tried to fill the void and we've searched and we've searched and we've, we just get sick and tired. We got bumps and bruises and, and God comes in and says, I offer you grace. I offer you mercy. And here's what's so amazing is the grace of salvation we can't earn. But without it, we're hopeless. Have you ever watched a movie? I, I, I kind of like this movie. You know, the westerns or, or the action-adventure. You know, not so much a chick flick. But anyway, sometimes in a chick flick it'll happen where, where there's, a, there's an underdog. And, and there's something about a hero that kind of steps up. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, anybody ever seen one of those movies where they have a hero and, and the hero comes in and, and it's almost like it's too late. I don't care what the hero can do. He just is too late. And somehow brings a different ending to the story. And this morning, maybe you're in that place where you think, I did, I, maybe you're like this video. I want you to watch this. I want you to see the love of God for you and what He did on the cross. Watch this. There's got to be more than going back and forth From doing right to doing wrong Cause we were taught that's who we are Come on, get in line right behind me You along with everybody Thinking there's worth in what you do Then like a hero who takes the stage When we're on the edge of our seats Saying it's too late let me introduce you to amazing grace No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars Still the truth is the cross has made, the cross has made you
He did it for me. He did it for you. You know, the Bible says in John chapter 19, and Jesus has been beaten, he has been put on the cross, and he has suffered for hours. And the Bible says that he was thirsty, and then in verse 30 it says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. In the book, The Day Christ died, Jim Bishop conveys the horror. Listen to this. As soon as Jesus fell, the beam was fitted under the back of his neck, and on each side, soldiers quickly knelt on the inside of the elbows. The thorns pressed against his torn scalp. With the right hand, the executioner probed the wrist of Jesus to find the little hollow spot. When he found it, he took one of the square-cut iron nails raised the hammer over the nail head and brought it down with force. Two soldiers grabbed each side of the crossbeam and lifted. As they pulled up, they dragged Jesus by the wrists. With every breath, he groaned. When the soldiers reached the upright, the four of them began to lift the crossbeam higher until the feet of Jesus were off the ground. The body must have writhed with pain. When the crossbeam was set firmly, the executioner knelt before the cross. Two soldiers hurried to help, and each one of them took hold of a leg at the calf. The ritual was that the nail, that to nail the right foot over the left, and this was probably the most difficult part of the work. If the feet were pulled downward and nailed close to the foot of the cross, the prisoners always would die quickly. Over the years, the Romans perfected the, the, the length of the crucifixion and they learned to push the feet upward on the cross so that the condemned man could lean on the nails and stretch himself upwards to breathe. Excruciating pain accompanied every upward push for breath and every downward release from fatigue. 
Each moment cut deeper into bone and tendon and raw muscle. Fever would eventually set in, inflaming the wounds and creating an insurcumable thirst. Waves of hallucinations drifted the victim in and out of consciousness. And in time, flies and insects would find their way to open wounds. At this point, Jesus knew he had accomplished everything the Father had sent him to do. And those three words sum up the crucifixion. It is finished. The Greek word is tetelestai. The, the word tetelestai in the Greek means it is finished. A lot of times a servant would look at his master and say that word to say, you know, the task that you gave me is complete. But probably the best way to understand it was what merchants would say when they were done paying for something. And that word tetelestai, it is finished, would be summed up as the debt has been paid for in full. And when Jesus said that, what he had come to earth for, what his dream was, is for him to come and make a way for us to have a relationship with him. A loving God. This morning, I want you to understand if you're still seeking God and you're wondering, is it true? Did someone just make that up? Do you know that even historians have gone back and read the prophecies in the Old Testament, how there was a Messiah that was going to come and how He was going to come and how He was going to do all these things? And they said that the historians that were people that would do statistics, you know, those kind of like bean crunchers, and they'd get, they, they would tally what the odds of actually all those things coming true. And the best way to give an illustration of saying it is, if you filled, filled the whole state of Texas with silver dollars up to your knee, huh? and, and somebody was blindfolded, and they could go and they could walk all over the state of Texas to find one of those silver dollars. And blindfolded, they would walk around until they, at any time that they wanted to, they'd reach down and, and go through this, whatever, and they'd come up and they'd find the one. That was hidden. That was the odds that Jesus would fulfill every one of those prophecies. Do you know that some unbelievers in history and historians have said that the prophecies were so accurate that they were written after the fact? They just still can't believe that all those prophecies could be correct even to that point of perfection. Why would he do it? Why would the creator of the universe do that? He, he did it for me. He did it for you. He chose to. I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Huh? To be honest, have you had anybody ever sacrifice at their own expense for you? You know, uh, thinking about our parents, you know, that that sacrificed for us as children. I had a great, great mother and father. And, and, and just the, the times when I'm a child, I thought, well, this is their duty. You know what I mean? When you're a kid, you're like, oh, well, they owe it to me. And then the day comes when you, daddy, you, mommy, and all of a sudden you go, wow, how much did they do for me? And, and, and that kind of makes my heart feel a heart of gratitude. 
It's kind of like when first responders, you know, when everybody's running out of a burning building, the, the firemen, you know, they're running in and, and they, they can rescue people and, and they do it at the, the risk of their own life. And you're going, wow, how can they do that? Or a policeman in defending you. You know, it's, a lot of people don't like the police until the police show up in their favor and then, <laughs> and they risk their life at a sacrifice for us. And there's, there's something about, you know, maybe a little bit of a pride that kind of, kind of makes me uncomfortable. It's kind of like our military in a way. You know, that, that have, the past have laid down their lives so that we can really come to our church. You could have come to any church because we're free as a country. I, I, I kind of like that movie, Saving Private Ryan. Huh? If, if you've ever watched that, that's one of those action adventure, you know, movies. And in the movie, Tom Hanks, boy, he's a good actor, isn't he? And, and Tom Hanks has a, a, a group of men, and he's going to travel all the way across Germany to rescue one guy, Private Ryan. And during the, the trip, and then the last engagement, pretty much all the men die, even Tom Hanks' character. And, and Private Ryan is catching the sacrifice that was for him. And in this movie, what is different than us is that in the movie, the, the, the Captain Miller, I like that because Tom Hanks is Miller. I didn't know if you knew John Miller at that. Just a little, little trivia there. Not, not important, not important. Okay, back to the story. Tom Hanks, as he's dying, looks at Private Ryan and says, Earn this. At the end of the movie, you see the older Private Ryan, Matt Damon, and, and then the older Private Ryan, and he's standing there and he says to his wife, tell me, I'm a good man. As he's standing over the grave of the captain that saved his life and the men that laid down. And there's something that you kind of go, ooh, the uncomfortable of the military doing that for us. But here's the difference, is the creator of the universe. If the earth was a golf ball, you know, that whole thing of how amazing he is, and he chose to say there's nothing you can do to earn it. It's a free gift that I wanted to give to you because, you know what, even though I, I have everything, all this is never enough without, without you having a free will to choose to love me. I love you. You know, there's some people that say, oh, God's never going to come back. They've been saying that for years. The Bible puts it this way, that God is not slow in keeping His promise, but that He's wanting all, everybody to come to repentance. That's amazing love. I want to ask you this. Why would He do that? Let me just quickly take you to the Garden of Eden when God created man. And it's so amazing that He made... Man in his own image. And the Bible says that God put him in the garden. And, and, and the Bible says that he gave him everything that he needed. And the Bible says, God said, you can have everything. Just, just don't touch that one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And of course, if you know the story that Adam and Eve begin looking at what they shouldn't look at, 
And the enemy comes in and begins to tempt them. And, and how does he do that? You know, come on now. He does it to us. You, you don't have enough. You, you don't have it all. If you just had this, and the Bible says that the enemy, the Satan, in the form of a snake, begins to tempt them. If you eat of that tree, your eyes are going to open. You'll be like God. In other words, he's been holding out on you. And they begin to reason. In that, us again, we begin to reason, huh, I don't know. It's the free will. We get a choice. We get a choice. And the Bible says they ate it. Now watch this. Sin came into the world for the first time. Because of that disobedience and sin that came into the world, there was a separation between man and God. A holy God that has nothing but love for us, that wants a relationship with us, that sin caused a gulf. The Bible says on that day, you can read it, and, and he begins to speak to the enemy. There's going to be a change. I'm coming for my beloved. And then the Bible says that even though that God walked with man and woman in the cool of the day, I mean, what a relationship. How cool is that to walk with God? That the Bible says there was separation. Now there was a, a, a form of just kind of a makeshift way of forgiveness through the blood of animals. That's why they would sacrifice animals and, 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 and their sins were forgiven. But that was never a permanent solution. From that day until the day that Jesus came, there was prophecy saying that I love you so much that I'm going to send a Messiah, a, a Savior. I love the story of Jesus coming to earth. Let, let me ask you this. Have you ever lost something that you really wanted? The Bible says there's stories like a lady that has ten coins and she loses one of the coins. She sweeps and cleans the house. You wonder if she ever cleaned it up to then. But anyway, she cleans the house and finds that one coin and she's so excited. She says, I found... She calls friends to celebrate. The, the Bible says there's another parable that Jesus told about uh, 99 sheep. They, he had 100, but, but one was lost. We sang about it this morning. And he went to seek and to save that one lost sheep because he wanted that sheep to be back with him. Then Jesus tells a story that kind of, once you hear it, you never forget it. And, and really what we call it is the prodigal son, but really the title should be the compassionate father. And what happened in the story is that there's two sons that the father has and, and he has this, I don't know, maybe a farm, maybe a, a plantation, not kind of like a ranch. But he's very, he's got everything. The father has everything it seems that he wants and, and he needs, but these two sons. And, and this younger son says one day, you know, Dad, I've kind of been thinking about this and reasoning again. He gets a free choice. He says, I wish you could just give me my part of the inheritance so I can leave. We don't know why, except... Again, just that feeling of trying to fulfill something that was missing in his life. And the Bible says he takes the inheritance and he leaves the father and the elder brother. The Bible says that he goes to distant country or distant land and really spends all of his money. 
And he comes to the conclusion, after he doesn't have any money, that he likes to eat. And so the Bible says he hires himself out, some, someone that he would have never, never lowered himself to be hired out to, and that was a pig farmer to be able to feed and take care of the pigs. I mean, he, he really the story is talking about how low he's gotten. You know, you hear the question of how low can you go? He's there. Until the pig's food looks good to him. Some of us know how that is. And he comes to the conclusion, I would better be off back at my father's house as a hired servant, not as a son, just as a hired servant, than I would be here. Now, now here's where the story turns. And as I've said many times, if it was a movie, the music would start. What would happen? And, and in my mind, I, I can picture this younger son that's really messed up. In, in his mind, as we do, we begin to play the narrative that's going to happen before it happens. And he's thinking, man, I don't have a chance. I, I said some things to dad that he would never forgive me. And I, I'm just, I'm in a bad spot. And as he's coming around the bend, the Bible says that his father sees him from afar off. Now, how is that possible unless the father has been waiting and hoping and believing that one day that he might just maybe come home? Now, now here's where it even gets <clears throat> a little bit emotional for me. It's because the Bible says that the father begins to run towards his son. What was the son thinking when here's a patriarch? Probably a pretty high class father. Reputation. Come on now, he's wearing sandals and a robe and he's running. Maybe the, the son thinks, he's going to chase me off. Until he sees eyes full of tears coming. And the Bible says that he wraps his arms around his son and he yells, bring a robe and put around him because he's probably not looking too good. He's probably smelling still like the pigs. But he says, bring a ring and put it on his finger. What is that? It's a family ring that signifies, no, you're my son. There could have been people out in the field watching. But the father says, bring sandals, put it on his feet, come on. And he restores. Here's a Bible word or a church word. It's called redeeming. It's restoring back to originality. And the Father says, we're going to have a party. Now, the, the Son begins to say, Father, I'm not worthy. And the Father doesn't even hear it. Because why? He values the relationship with the Son that much. You're my Son. The Bible says that the party is being thrown and the older son comes into the picture and he's been out in the field and, and maybe you've heard this story before and the older brother's like, what, what's all the ruckus and what's happening? And he, well, they're throwing a party for your younger brother. He's come home and he kind of gets mad because, you know, I've never had a party for me and I've done what's right. I, I want you to think about this because a lot of times we think about it is 
a lot of times the negativity of the church looking at people possibly that way. But can, can you just for a minute put that over here? Because I think that Jesus is going to make a point. And maybe you missed it. I know I have for years. It almost seems like if the older brother could have, if, if let's say on that path home to the father, if there was a bridge, you know, a big bridge that you had to cross to get back to the father, it seems like if the older brother could have, he could have burnt that bridge so there would be no hope to have the younger brother come back. But can I tell you something that, here's what, after years of studying the Word of God, it, it really hit me. That here is a different story of this. See, Jesus even says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, he, he calls himself our older brother. And we, as younger brothers and sisters, with no hope, when the bridge was burnt, there's no way back to the Father. Jesus, who lived in heaven, the Son of God, has everything. And He says, it'll never be enough for me until the relationship with my family is restored. And the difference of the story of what we call the prodigal son and our story is our brother wasn't mad. He wasn't disappointed that we came home. Here's our older brother and he says, I, I will go to earth and to seek and to save those that are lost. It's kind of ironic that the enemy devil during the temptations of Christ it says that he, he he's fasted for 40 days, Jesus, and the enemy, the devil, takes him out into the wilderness and says, if you're God, turn this stone into bread. Again, he gets free choice like us. He's a man, but he's all God. And he says no, and he quotes the Bible to him. He quotes the Scripture. And then he, uh, the enemy says, he takes him to another place, and he says, if you're God, he takes him to a high place, and he says, if you're God, then throw yourself off. If you're God. And Jesus quotes him the Scripture. And he's like, no, that's not what the Scripture says. You're trying to twist it. Just like what you did to Adam and Eve. I'm not going to fall for that. He even takes him to the Temple Mount and he shows him all the world. And, and the, he says, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this. Now, he says, I have the authority to do that. Why does he have the authority? Why does the devil think that he has authority? Because man gave it to him in the garden. But see, the enemy didn't know, apparently, that Jesus came on the scene to take that authority back from him. I love it when he says, I'll give you all these nations if you just bow down. And Jesus says, I'm about ready to get all that and a lot more, and it's still not enough for me. It'll never be enough until I have the relationship restored with my family. Until the free choice that I gave them, until they have a choice that they can serve me or not to follow me. 
See, because what I'm going to do on the cross is a dream that I've had from the moment that they fell in the Garden of Eden. And it's almost too delicate. And in a few years, I'm going to lay down my life willingly. Do you know that even when he did miracles, the Bible says that he would tell people, don't tell anybody. Now, now, why would he do that? Because he didn't want the miracles, even though the miracles proved his divinity and he was God. Don't believe me because I can do healing. And I want you to believe that I am the Son of God that can lay down my life for you. And in the story of the prodigal, it's like our older brother begins to build that bridge back that we can come to the Father. You know, I I wonder sometimes if Jesus, maybe, who knows? This isn't in the Bible. It's kind of just thinking that, I wonder if there was an angel that might have said, are you sure you want to go back and die on the cross for them? You've got it all. He could have said, you know, uh, uh, all the spotlight's on me, but you know what? It's not enough. It'll never be enough. There's a day coming and my brothers and sisters will be able to choose eternity. I want them to play the lyrics as they do the video of the life of Jesus. Let it stay this way Can let this moment end You set off a dream in me Getting louder now Can you hear it echoing? Take my hand Will you share this with me? Cause darling, without you All the shine of a thousand spotlights All the stars we steal from the night sky Will never be enough Never be enough Towers to gold are still too little These hands could hold the world
think that the creator of the universe said it'll never be enough until they know how much I love them. And in coming and dying on the cross, our sins can be forgiven if we receive Him into our life this morning. But it's a free choice that you make. It's a free choice that I make. But I want you to realize before we leave today, you could say, He did it for me. The good news is that Jesus Christ not only died, but He was resurrected. And as the video showed that He ascended into heaven, which He's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. That if we receive what He did, that our sins can be forgiven. If you think about it, if you would just sit where you are just for a few minutes and nobody moving around. If you think about it, if He did it just for you, When you think about how long eternity is, can we all agree eternity is too long to be wrong? <laughs> this morning I want to give you an opportunity. And again, the Bible says that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's nobody spiritual enough that was born without sin in our life. But the Bible says that if we continue in that sin, that one day we'll receive a paycheck. It's coming. It says that the wages of sin is death. But you and I this morning heard the good news. But the gift of God is eternal life. It says God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish that have everlasting life. You'd say, Pastor, you know, I, I've been bumped and bruised and I've, I've messed up and I've messed up and I've messed up. So have I. And there's nobody here that will receive it to be able to come back to the Father without forgiveness. And that's the choice that each one of us have to make. Would you just bow your heads this morning? This morning, right where you're at, if you say, Pastor, I really never heard it that way before. I, I really never heard that God loved me so much that He died on the cross for me to make a way back to Him. I would like to give my heart to God. I'd like to make Him Savior of my life. This morning, would you just slip up your hand? I've done it before. Is anybody here? Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Thank you. Anybody else? This morning, if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, I've made a commitment to God. I really haven't committed since I've done that. I really haven't really lived a life that I should have. Again, the good news is that we can be forgiven. That not only are we redeemed, it is that we're restored back. And this morning, if you're here and you are in that state, would you just raise your hands? And say, yeah, that's me. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Just raise your hand. We're going to pray. Thank you.
This morning, would you just repeat this, the whole church, just repeat this prayer after me and believe it in your heart. If you do not believe it in your heart, it's just like saying words that mean nothing. But would you repeat this after me? Father, I am so thankful of sending your son to die for me. I ask that you forgive me of my sins. That you would come into my heart and be my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning what you're doing is you're confessing with your mouth. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe that He is my Messiah. That I can be forgiven of my sins. That's why we celebrate Easter. You might be here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I, I feel new. That's, that's what Easter does. It's new beginnings. That the past is in the past and today's a new day. Can you say amen? amen. God is good, isn't He? Amen.